Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. I'm going to read you a story, okay? Here it goes. A frail black woman rises slowly to her feet. She is something over 70 years of age. Facing across the room are several white security police officers, one of whom, Mr. Vandenbroek, had just been tried and found implicated in the murder of both the woman's son and her husband some years before. He had come to the woman's house, taken her son, shot him at point-blank range, and then set the young man's body on fire while he and his officers had parted nearby. Several years later, Vandenbroek and his cohorts had returned to take away her husband as well. For many months, she'd heard nothing of his whereabouts. Then, almost two years later, after her husband's disappearance, Vanderbrock came back to fetch the woman herself. How vividly she remembers that evening, going to a place beside a river where she was shown her husband, bound and beaten, but still strong in spirit, lying on a pile of wood. The last words she heard from his lips as the officer poured petrol over his body and set him aflame were, Father, forgive them. Now the woman stands in the courtroom and listens to the confession offered by Mr. Vandenbroek. A member of the South African Truth and Reconciliation Commission turns to her and asks, So, what do you want? How should justice be done to this man who has so brutally destroyed your family? I want three things, began the old woman calmly but confidently. I want first to be taken to the place where my husband's body was burnt so I can gather up some dust and give his remains, a decent burial. She paused and then continued. My husband and my son were my only family. I want secondly, therefore, for Mr. Vandenbroek to become my son. I would like for him to come twice a month to the ghetto and spend a day with me so I can pour out on him whatever love I still have remaining within me. And finally, she said, I want a third thing. This is also the wish of my husband, And so I would kindly ask someone to come to my side and lead me across the courtroom so I can take Mr. Vandenbroek in my arms and embrace him and let him know that he is truly forgiven. As the court assistant, as the as the court assistants come to lead the elderly woman across the room, Mr. Vandenbroek, overwhelmed by what he has just heard, faints. As he does, those in the courtroom, family, friends and neighbours, all victims of decades of oppression and injustice begin to sing softly but assuredly, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Luke chapter 6 from verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Good morning, everybody. Let me just remind you of this context here. This is Luke's account of what is termed the Sermon on the Mount. Some people call it the Sermon on the Plain, but I'm convinced there probably wasn't planes back there, so it's a bad title. But uh, he has just 
He's just chosen his 12 apostles and then he's begun to teach them. We looked at it last time and he said, blessed are you if you're poor with a purpose. Blessed are you if you hunger for the kingdom. Blessed are you if you weep as I would weep. Blessed are you if you are hated because of me. Among them, those 12 apostles that he's chosen is a guy called Judas Iscariot. Judas is the one that would betray him. Judas is the one that would take 30 gold coins and would lie and incriminate the creator of all things. He's the one that would lead the murderers through and up the mount to where Jesus was praying and would betray him with a kiss. Judas is the enemy in the camp. So after he's addressed his disciples with those incredible words about blessed are you who suffer, blessed are you who are poor, he turns now to the crowd. He says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemy. We have to remember that Judas will walk with Jesus. All the rest, every day that Jesus has left in his life, he will probably walk it with Judas. But I say to you, love your enemies. The kingdom that Jesus is detailing, the the rules and the regulations of this new kingdom which he's trying to bring in are completely radical. If you can hear the words that I've just said and not be like, this is too much for me, then you're kind of deaf. This is the most countercultural teaching that you'll ever find. I would like to say the most controversial teaching that you'll find in the Bible. And there's some controversial bits. There's some bits that you and I might disagree on. But this, this is more controversial than any other scripture in the Bible. Love your enemy. It is so upside down and back to front. But the problem with the churches is that we've got into reading the Bible like it's the instructions on how to work a washing machine. We think it's so like insignificant. We think it's about like just checking the dial as to whether I should put it on 40 or 30. We wonder whether it's, you know, we should put the synthetics in with the cottons, whether I can put colours in with the whites. We read it so often that we do not listen to what is spoken. There's something that happens when Christians begin to read aloud the words of God. Something that happens between the eyes and the mouth that make the most incredibly challenging and the most powerful scriptures sound like they are utterly, utterly basic. Like they're common, like they're easy to grasp. Jesus teaches, love your enemies. It's massive. It's so countercultural. It's so unbelievably costly and so unbelievably sacrificial. I have no right to speak it. This is a sermon that no one other than Christ should ever give. I don't think it's possible. It's so hard to understand, so hard to grasp the enormity of what he said. Jesus didn't say, avoid your enemies. Jesus didn't say, dodge your enemies. Jesus didn't say, evade or duck or hide from or shun your enemies. Jesus didn't say, ignore or reject your enemies. Jesus said, love your enemies. Jesus didn't say, crush your enemies, hate your enemies, punish your enemies, get revenge on those who hate you, curse those who curse you, abuse those who abuse you, slap back those who slap you. Now, if you've ever been to a soft play centre, you've heard a different kind of teaching. You'll see a kid cry, run over to their mum and say, that boy over there hit me. And then will come one of the earliest lessons that a parent will teach a child. If someone hits you, you hit them back. 
It's what makes us who we are. It's what, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a rite of passage. I've got to teach them to defend themselves because that is what good parenting is. But this is not the lessons of Jesus. Jesus didn't say, if someone takes your coat, take them to court. Jesus didn't say, do to others as they do to you. If they treat you badly, you treat them back badly. It is not what Jesus said. Jesus said, love your enemies. Jesus didn't say, love the easy people, love the ones you like. Jesus didn't say, love the ones you have people, a stuff in common with. Don't love the kind ones. Uh, sorry, love the kind ones. Love the generous ones. Love those who bless you. Love those who give. Love those who share. Love those who affirm you. Love those who love you back. Jesus said, love your enemies. Jesus said, didn't say, love your enemies at arm's length. Love, love your enemies from a distance. Jesus didn't say, love your enemies with the minimum. Jesus didn't say, be polite to your enemies. Jesus didn't say, put up with your enemies. Jesus didn't say, like your enemies. Like I've heard people say, well, Jesus didn't say I had to like my enemies. I love them, but I won't like them. Get your mind around that piece of genius. I only have to love them. Hello. Do you get what he's saying when he talks about love here? He's talking about agape love. He's not talking about eros love, love between lovers. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about filio love. That's the love that holds families together. He's not talking about that. He's talking about agape love. It is deep. It is costly, it is expensive, and it's deeply sacrificial. It's the most expensive, the most lavish of all the loves that the Bible teaches about. Love your enemies. Love when you're rejected. Love when you get nothing back. Agape love loves when it's never reciprocated. If you want to taste what agape love tastes like, work out the person who hates you the most and love on them. Then you'll see what it costs, what it looks like, what it feels. But the, the, the teaching of Jesus begins to unpack it, what it would look like. He says, if you're going to love those who, who hate you, love your enemies, it looks like this. Doing good to those who hate you. I don't know about you, but that feels so incredibly wrong. They hate me. Why would I do good things to them? Bless those who curse you. That person who said I was too large for skinny jeans is hard to bless them. I've got to teach for the rest of the week wearing these same jeans. Pray for those who mistreat you. That isn't the first thing that I pray about. Like I pray about my family. I pray, let's be honest, about myself more than anybody else. I don't pray about the people who chuffing hate me. It is not my first thought. Turn the other cheek. If someone takes your coat, give them your shirt. Now I've heard people talk about this passage. I've heard people say, yeah, oh, you, know, you know what that's about though. If you turn the other cheek, they have to hit you with the back of their hand. Because they're really considering how they're hitting you. I will now use the back of my hand because they've turned their cheek. And it's, they, they talk about, well, it brings shame on the person who hits you. Or, you know, if someone asks for your, for your clothes, you give them more because it, it heaps shame upon the head. Jesus did not say heap shame upon your enemy. 
That wasn't the teaching of Jesus. I'm pretty sure it's not what he said here. He said, love your enemies. Not heap shame upon your enemies. He's saying, love and keep on loving. Give and keep on giving, even if they take everything. Give to anyone who asks. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. See how the world would tell us something totally different. A slight twist in there that would say, if someone's good to you, do good to them. If someone invites you for food, invite them back. Let's reciprocate. But actually, this is front foot. This is upside down kingdom stuff that says, instead, I'm going to approach them. I'm going to be the person that will love on them, even though they may never love me back. If you want them to be kind, be kind first. If you want them to care, care for them. Even if you know they may never do the same back. It really makes no sense to the world. Surely if we bless those who are evil, bless those who are mean to us, bless our enemies. It's like, I feel like it's kind of affirming them in their badness. Like I'm feeling like if I tell them and treat them badly, they'll realize the errors of their ways and then they'll change. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 you, you love on them. I'm like, I don't really want to affirm them in their badness. Surely we will continue to tell them that they're right. Surely blessing them gives them more and they're not good with what they've got. Surely I don't want to give them more power. I don't want to give them more resources. That isn't a great idea to people who are evil and don't spend what they have well. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be seen as someone who is loving evil people. I don't want to be associated with my enemies. I think about who who hates me the most, I'm not particularly sure I want people to know that I'm friends with them or that I'm trying to love them. Let's just remember who Jesus used to hang with. Martin Luther King said this, returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Hate multiplies hate. Violence multiplies violence. And toughness multiplies toughness in a descending spiral of destruction. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. We never get rid of an enemy by meeting hate with hate. We get rid of an enemy by uh, getting rid of enmity. By this very nature, hate destroys and tears down. By its very nature, love creates and builds up. Love transforms with redemptive power. Do you see how Jesus, when he begins to work, he could counteract evil with evil, but he realize that's only going to create more evil. Jesus is so subversive that he faces into hatred and brings love. But it feels risky. It feels dangerous. It feels wasteful. It feels like I could lose everything. Like I could give the very best of myself and it be totally destroyed and rejected. God so loved the world, a world that hated him, 
a world at odds with him. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You know, there's a beautiful mystery that is revealed when we love our enemies. As soon as we realize that we can't love we can't love our enemies without God's help. As soon as we realize that we can't love without God's love, then we become dependent on him. I don't know about you, but when you face into the enemy, when you face people who hate you, I quickly realize that my, the best of my love isn't going to do it. I'm going to need some kind of supernatural love. I'm going to need some help. And so as I give, my dependence on God grows. As we love our enemies we love with God's love. As, as we love our enemies, we love as God would love. And that's where the beautiful mystery comes in. Because when we begin to love our enemies, we begin to experience something of God's love. You know, when we, be, when we really face into those who hate us, we get to taste what God feels. We begin to have a love and affection for the unlovable. We begin to experience a love and an affection for those who deserve no love. That is quite incredible. And I feel like I've just tasted a little bit as I've been studying this, as I've been going into it, I've started to realise that if I, if I really invest in the loving of those around me that are so undeserving because they reject me and they hate me, God will begin to stir in my heart a passion and a love for them. 35, verse 35 says, Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. The reward for those who turn and face into the enemy and treat them not with hatred but with love, that the reward is great. The scripture says here, will be identified as the children of God. I love this. The more we love our enemies, the more we look like God. The more we look like our Father, we bear his identity upon us. His image is us. Think about it. God is kind. God is merciful. And when we are kind and we are merciful, we look like him. You will be children of the most high God. Your dad is merciful. You look like him. I want to look like my dad. My heavenly dad. My other dad's a little bit short. <laughs> Isn't it incredible? Isn't it beautiful? We can look like God when we behave like him. You know what? There was a time when we weren't the children of God. The scriptures would tell us that there was a time when we were enemies of God. Romans 5 verse 10 will tell us we were once enemies of God, but we are saved. We are rescued, reconciled by the death of Jesus Christ. What's amazing is we need to come back to the nature of the gospel and see that we naturally, in our, in our sinful state, we are enemies of God. God so loved the world, a world which was at odds with him, a world which hated him, a world full of enemies. We, the enemies of God, were so loved by God that he would give us Jesus. Jesus the one who teaches us to love our enemies is the sign of the love of God. He is the love of God displayed to the enemy. 
So it's incredible that as he stands on a mountainside with maybe a couple of hundred, maybe a thousand people listening, he's saying, I, I am the gift of love from my heavenly father. And I'm bringing in a new kingdom, a kingdom where the enemy is brought near, where the enemy will be loved, where the enemy will not be counteracted with more hatred because we need to see an end to that. All the schemes of the devil and the way in which he runs this world will be put to death. And what will come will be a new kingdom, a kingdom where the enemy can be brought near, where the enemy can be transformed, Christ is the love of God. We who were far off, we who were the enemies of God, are loved. It's really easy for us to put ourselves on the side of the victim. We put ourselves on the side of of those who were hated, not the haters. We won't be the haters, but remember where you were before you met Christ. You are considered an enemy of God, but yet Christ, but yet Christ, Christ, the sign of love from the Father, comes to meet us and he says, now be like me, be like your dad, bear my image, I'm a kind God. You know what? We get so consumed with our understanding of what God the Father is like. We have such an ill-informed understanding of what our God is like. But he's good and he's kind and he's merciful. And he says, be like me. Be like me. Remember Christ. Let's pray. So, Father, again, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that displayed in him is your incredible love, your sacrificial love. Thank you that you would empty yourself. Thank you that you'd give away your best. Thank you that you'd lavish love upon your enemy. Lord, we recognise that without Christ, we are at odds with you, separated from you, without hope. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you that you came. Thank you that you are the love of God displayed to us. We receive you again today, Lord. We receive the love of the Father displayed in you, Jesus the Son. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work, work the love of God in our hearts. Just thinking about that verse from Ephesians 3. Lord, work on our hearts today that the love of Christ with all its height and width and depth and breadth, would be poured into our hearts today, Lord. What transforming power your love has, God. And Lord, we think this morning, we just pray for those, pray for those who we find really hard to love. We pray for those who hate us. We pray for our enemies, Lord. We pray for those who have damaged us and our families. We pray for those who have done so much carnage caused so much damage in our lives lord lord firstly we ask that you'd help us lord we pray that you'd fill us with your love lord we realize that we can't love them without you we can't do this in our own strength and we need your love god 
Thank you that the scriptures tell us that you're rich in love. It means you've got a lot of it. We pray pour out some of that love in our hearts today, God. Help us. Help us to love those who hurt us so badly. Help us to love those who who would wish us dead. And God, we pray for them. Rescue them. Transform them. Bring them to repentance, Lord. Lord, we trust you. We trust you, Lord. We trust that your love is so incredibly powerful. It's so incredibly transformational that you could break even the hardest heart. You could restore the most broken lives, the most hateful person. Help us, God. Fill us with your love, Lord, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams.